Welcome to the Who's Hooping Podcast, hosted by Sean Crow and Kari Williams, where we discuss all things UVA men's basketball. We look forward to breaking down the current team, what's to come in the future, as well as some of our favorite and toughest Wahoo moments. We plan to give you guys the content you love to hear, whether you're a diehard fan that's been around forever, or you just found out about the team this past week. So stick around, lay back, and listen to two average guys tell you all about it. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Who's Hoopin' podcast. I'm Sean Crow, joined by my co-host Kari Williams. Kari, how you doing? Doing good, man. You know, it's a uh, nice Wednesday night here. Holiday break, I guess. Not really working too much, so you know, chill. Good things going on. Yeah, absolutely. Gotta love it. It's been a while since we filmed a podcast. Um, apologize to the listeners. We've been a bit busy, but um, we're now ready to kind of break down what's been going on recently with UVA hoops so I think the last time we filmed was actually right before the Michigan game so we've had quite a few big games since then we are just going to focus on the last two um, that that just occurred most recently so without further ado jumping into it uh, this past Saturday December 17th Houston traveled to Charlottesville uh, in a top five matchup Uh, Ended up being a 69-61 win for Houston. And then uh, just last night, we're recording this on Wednesday the 21st, just last night, the Hoos traveled down to Miami and lost a a close one, 64-66. So I guess, Kari, maybe starting with the Houston game, let's let's get right into it. What did you see? You know, what concerned you? I know you were there in person. How was the atmosphere at JPJ? Yes, I'll dive in a second. First, I'm going to clear my name. You said we, we've been busy. Uh, you've been busy, Sean Crow, but I will give you a shout out. So Sean actually just um, got done completing his master's. So uh, my boy over there getting an extra education. So that's primarily why I've been late. Exams, graduation, all those. Clearing my name, I've been free, hidden up, but you've had a better reason for us to be busy. But all right, so the Houston game. A um, lot of fun, great atmosphere. Um, I've been seeing a lot of like tweets and a lot of noise about how JPJ hadn't been rocking the way it used to. So it was a great day, sellout crowd, and everything was going solid in the beginning. Um, it's a lot of fun. Everyone's really excited. And surprisingly, um, all the great games. I feel like for all the talent that UVA brings in, packed ACC, good UNC, good Duke teams, this was actually the first – actually, excuse me, I'm wrong – this is the first top five non-conference matchup we've had. But even non-con, Tony does schedule pretty tough ones. Sean, me and you, when we were students, we've been to some pretty good games um, against Villanova. We always have that like really solid holiday um, matchup where Tony always finds one right before holiday break, or I guess, excuse me, exam break, or right after it uh, for us to just be able to really challenge ourselves. But diving into Houston specifically, Great atmosphere. Crowd was rocking. Once again, sellout crowd. Uh, it was me and another one of our friends that were out there at the game. Uh, our seats are in an interesting spot. I wouldn't say we have the most accessible, uh, best view in the entire JPJ for us to watch some of these games. But we do our best to have a good time. So me and Ryan Zimmerman, we were out there bouncing around. Uh, started in Section 301. Eventually made our way to Section 304 and got our, found our way to our seats. But... Just really loud environment. Um, everyone was really engaged. And unfortunately, I know the score didn't go our way, but it just was an awesome day. We started off 9-0, and I think once we hit that 9-0 point, just a really strong start. I think that was as loud as I'd heard JPJ from even back when we were students. Uh, think about like a Justin Anderson alley-oop or like a Darius Thompson body bag. Just absolutely loud, raucous, and just everyone having a blast. But um quickly the uh note turned a little sour as the lead started to slip away and then quickly we're in a tight one down to the first half but uh Sean I can turn it over to you how was it on tv that was the beginning I don't want to get too far into all the details of the game and the nitty-gritty but I will say environment awesome for the first half and then you know Houston started to make their runs and things got a little sad in the arena yeah glad you had a chance to be down there I 
I would have loved to be at this game, but I was actually down in Atlanta for my Georgia Tech graduation. But I ended up meeting up with a UVA buddy to watch at a sports bar down there in Atlanta. So we still had a good a good time watching. It was actually like a UVA watch bar. So it was nice being joined uh, by some fellow Who's fans down there. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely, you know, really optimistic about the way the game started uh, with that 9-0 run to begin. I think we were also up like 16-9 to or, or something like that. So first 10 minutes of the game were looking pretty good. Um, and really kind of the recurring theme that I noticed was just whenever Houston had to have a bucket, they were able to, they were able to get it. Um, they just were time and time again, anytime UVA seemed to be making a little bit of a run to get back into the game, Houston would, you know, hit a, a tough shot. I, I thought we defended pretty well for the most part, but Houston just made a ton of tough shots. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Certainly would have liked to win this game, but losing to Houston to kind of round out our our non-conference schedule, um, you can't be too disappointed in that with Houston being a such a strong opponent as they are. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I think this is the type of game that will make us more battle-tested going into the heart of ACC play and eventually the postseason. So um, really like that we tested ourselves this year with so many – Tough non-conference games, but um, yeah, those are kind of my my initial reactions. Did you want to get any deeper into the flow of the game or stats at all, or anything else you want to talk about with this one? Oh, plenty, plenty of thoughts on this one. But they get the nail on the head. Just watching the game, it was just every time UVA put them in a tough position, took a lead, crawling back in, trying to set it up they would take a shot that honestly like you wanted them to take. Like there were so many times where I would watch the possession play out. I'd watch the shot they ended up with. I'm like, all right, awesome. Great defensive stop or just great defensive possession, forcing them to take that type of shot. And it just always found a way to just go in, whether it was a tough pull up, whether it was a big man hitting a spin move and like a nice hook in the lane, just shots that you want the defense to force an offensive team to go for where it's still a good shot. If a pro is going to hit it, a pro is going to hit it. And if a guy that's feeling it's going to hit it, then you live with it. Um, these weren't open jump shots. These weren't layups. They weren't easy takes to the paint. It was really tough, hard earned baskets. And that's what UVA honestly makes their just, that's what make a name off of. And I think as the game went on, as the second half started to kick in, you started to see more and more from, from Houston. Uh, early on, the field goal percentages were pretty low. I think Houston started um, just looking at some of the play-by-play. Um, I want to say, like, when I was looking at the big board, it was, like, one for seven, eight. But just as the game wore on, the shots just kept falling. And then they obviously ended the game at 49%, which against the UVA team is pretty ridiculous. Um, so... We played a really tough defense. I just think we just couldn't catch a break on how things are falling for them. But if you look at the individual box score, if you told me Marcus Sasser was going to shoot 3 of 10, 4 of 14, and only have 13 points well below his averages, you'd think that that would lead to a really positive UVA score. But just getting into the game in general and getting some more macro thoughts about it, I think my big takeaways from the Houston game and what really stood out to me were, one, uh, shooting. I think in our last episode we talked about, I think we were five games in in the last pod we did, and we were having the conversation about, is this UVA team the team that had a great shooting, a great shooting performance those first two games against, uh, I believe, Monmouth, and I forgot who else we played before that, but our first two games, and then we had obviously that great shooting performance against Baylor, we had just had a tough one against Illinois in terms of shooting. And then I believe against Maryland, Eastern Shorehawks, we didn't shoot it phenomenally. Um, but we were starting to that conversation point of, is this last year's team starting to peak its head or are these just down moments? Well, we now have five more games to include on top of that. And it just seems that this team is still the team from last year behind the arc. And we just couldn't hit threes. And what was really frustrating to watch uh, as the shots kept going up was seeing things such as 22 shot attempts from three. We shot 48 shots for the entire game. So almost 50% of our offense was a three-point shot. 
when you miss 16 of those, 16 out of 48 shots, literally a third of our offense was a miss three. And just, it's hard to beat a national championship contender in Houston when you're shooting that type of way. The offense is flowing in that type of manner. And on top of that, they're hitting their shots. They're hitting their tough ones. The threes we missed, it wasn't like we were missing threes that there was someone flying out at us and we had to like shoot it with one second on the shot clock or bad decision making. These were a lot of times wide open threes off of good offense, good looks. So they're not always going to fall, but that's a tough one to look at. That six of 22 that you're staring at, um, it's not a pretty six of 22 when you saw it live. Um, we did a good job getting to the free throw line. I liked what I saw from Kihei. I liked what I saw from Armand Franklin. I thought he played a solid game. Um, ben Vanderplas, I know in the last pod I was talking about how much I loved him as like the ultimate glue guy that just does everything well. This was not a good game for him. Uh, 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 6 from 3. Zeros across the box score besides one assist and then one turnover, which isn't a positive thing. Just really quiet performance from him overall. So you'd want to see more. Um, yeah, man, it was, it was a tough one to watch. I know Reese is injured um, a little bit, or it seems like he's still working his way back into the flow of things. I don't want to sit here and play the, Oh, what if Reese was healthy versus he's not healthy. Um, there are a, there's a head coach in Tony Bennett. That's much smarter than I am about basketball. There are trainers and athletic staff that are much smarter than me about how players should recover. And then at the end of the day, it's basketball. No one finishes the season hundred percent. So I'm not going to make excuses for our players being a little dinged up or having to recover. He played 34 minutes. So obviously someone thought he was good enough to play that amount. So we just, we just didn't get it done. And then Houston just hit some really tough shots. So that's probably the end of my long rant, but I'll pass it over to you. Um, what were your thoughts from what you were able to see? Yeah, no, you're, you're definitely spot on with everything you said. Um, ben Vanderplas was dangerously close to pulling off the uh, Tony Snell stat line. You know, the famous zeros across the board. He was saved by the one assist. So, but yeah, I mean, he just had a rough go of it out there. And I think he, he started to lose his confidence a bit during the game. He started, um, you know, passing out of open threes which, you know, when you're 0 of 6, you might start to second-guess, you know, the, the way you're shooting the ball. So it makes sense, but with a veteran-savvy player like that, you want him to stay confident and poised out there. So that was disappointing to see. Uh, if I'm looking for a positive, I thought that I was really impressed with Isaac McNeely and how he looked in that game. So he had nine points on three of six, two of five from three, uh, made a free throw, two rebounds um, in 24 minutes played. So I thought he really, uh, you know, as a freshman playing a really physical opponent, you never know how they're going to respond against a team like Houston, but he definitely looked like he belonged out there. And so I think this was a good step forward for Isaac McNeely and hopefully something we can see more of as the season progresses. I thought that uh, Caden Shedrick, of course, had a good game as well. Leading score was 16 points, uh, 7 of 8 from the field. Um, so those were some positives that I took from the game. But like you said, we were far too reliant on the three-point shot, and uh, we just didn't shoot the ball that well overall. So, yeah, um, that's kind of all I had to say about the the Houston game. Um, should we jump into Miami or – yeah, my final thought. Uh, of course, the one game I go to with these season tickets, and of course, it's a uh, unfortunate loss to Houston. So, you know, Sean, I think you've had good luck every game you've gone to. I think we've won. Um, I'm now over one of my attendants. So, the next one I go to will be the Duke game. Um, if we lose that one, I may have to get rid of these season tickets and give them to someone else because obviously I'm not getting the bang for the buck or I'm just bad luck for the team. So, yeah, let's dive on into Houston. So, uh, Tuesday night game uh, at Coral Gables. Great crowd, great environment. Um, I know Miami is still working on building their like basketball program and making it a better place. So more when I say great crowd, great environment, more of the idea of being in Miami. Can't go wrong with being in a city like that. But once again, UVA, tough loss, 66-64. Uh, my initial thoughts from this game, once again, 
too many threes. Uh, we put up more shots this game. We took a total of 60 shots. Um, so the percentages weren't as bad, 23 out of 60. Um, but still, getting really close to that halfway point of threes taken out of total attempts. And the box score makes it seem a lot closer than the game really felt. I know for the parts I was able to see, I wasn't able to watch the full game in total, but there were times we were down by 15, times we were down by 10. We'd make a run, back down by 10. And I believe in that final minute or final minute 30, we found a way to be down by 10 yet again. So just... Although the final box score ended up close, it did not feel like UVA ever really got to a point of uh, either controlling the game or really knocking on the door consistently where baskets were being traded, more so that we were always the one having to scramble and fight for it. But what are some of your initial thoughts on it? Yeah, so they definitely sleepwalked out of the gate in this one. I've never seen – I mean, I have seen Tony Bennett this upset before, but he actually called a, a timeout like – within 30 seconds of the 16-minute mark, which, of course, is the first media timeout. So you know he's got to be pretty unhappy when that happens. Um, Yeah, I mean, Miami was just scoring at will, getting all the looks that they wanted to start the game. So especially defensively, we really came out slow, and that was was definitely concerning to see. You know, you – you got to think that first-ranked matchup in the entire ACC in 22 months – that we would come out with a little more juice and focus in this. So that was disappointing to see. Um, I will say, you know, we went down 14 in the first half when Isaac Wong or sorry, Isaiah Wong had his four point play and was fouled by Tane Murray. And then there was a point in the second half when we went down 15. What I did like is the fight that we showed in the second half. There was a period of time where we couldn't buy a basket in the second half. But we were also, I think Miami, we forced like a five-minute drought. And then eventually the start, the shot started falling. And uh, Ben Vanderplaz, as much as we talked about his struggles in the Houston game, he really caught fire in the second half at Miami. And he, he brought us all the way to within one uh, with probably about five or so minutes left. Um, so I really liked the, the fight that I saw in the second half. And I thought we really picked it up defensively. But once again, the the same issue popped up of shooting overall. You know, we only shot something like 35%. Or sorry, 36. I have it right here. 36.6% uh, from the field overall. 26% from three. So our cold shooting woes continued. And uh, the backcourt, Kihei was two of ten. Isaac McNeely was one of nine. Um, Armand Franklin was 0 of 7. Armand Franklin had a, a minus 25 and 13 minutes played. And what was really interesting about this game is Tony Bennett was really kind of tinkering with the lineups in a pretty big uh, profile game in a way that I wouldn't say that I, I'm used to seeing him do so much. Uh, what I mean by that is that we barely saw Caden Shedrick or Armand Franklin in the second half. Caden Shedrick only played 10 total minutes. Armand Franklin only played 13. We saw a ton of Isaac McNeely and Ben Vanderplas, especially in the second half. Also interesting was that Ryan Dunn played zero minutes in the first half, but ended the game with 16 minutes played. So he played great majority of the second half after not playing at all in the first half. So there were, this game was a, it was an interesting one. Um, I thought that Ryan Dunn's energy defensively really kind of changed the game in the second half. I think it leaves a lot of UVA fans wishing that maybe he had gotten some playing time in the first half. But this was a uh, you know a topsy-turvy game against the upper echelon ACC opponent. Tough to take two losses in a row, but at least we have this game out of the way with um, – I would like to see Miami again this year, but we only get them away. So maybe we'll have to wait until the ACC tournament to try to get some revenge. Yeah. I mean, looking at the box score, this game is just weird in a lot of different ways. Um, Caden Shedrick with the 10 to 11 minutes played. Armand Franklin, 13 total. Ryan Dunn, all but four minutes for the second half played. 
Isaac Neely almost the entirety of the game. We saw Tane Murray, who seemed like he was out of the rotation, who was getting minutes. Um, Francisco. Oh, I know he just changed the pronunciation because everyone was going crazy about it. Caffaro. Uh, Caffaro. Not Caffaro. Caffaro. Um, so, but he did tweet out saying, whichever way you say it, it does not offend him. Um, but obviously, I want to make sure I get that right. So, Caffaro. Um, can get used to that after three years of saying Caffaro. But, all right. Francisco Caffaro. But just overall, just the stat line a little strange and our guards definitely had a bit of a struggle. Um, I may have made the Kihei Reese take. I'm going to give Kihei a pass here. When you do shoot eight of nine free throws, uh, that also means that I know he took 10 shots, but also means that perhaps that percentage could have been influenced positively if he wasn't going to the foul line. So what ended up being fouls could have been made baskets instead of eight for nine. Maybe he's shooting five of 13 or five of 14, whatever it is. I obviously didn't see every free throw taken or what led to them, but give him a pass. You know, when you shoot well from the free throw line, I guess give you a little sympathy. And I think that's been one of the themes that I've seen the last two games. So in our last pot, I talked a lot about how we were really getting to the free throw line and really dominating at the free throw line. Um, the Houston game, we turned it on late and we got to the free throw line a lot more down the stretch, but Miami, similar fashion where we shot 19 free throws. Houston, we shot uh, 17. Even those sound like a lot of free throws, but before that, we were getting in around 25 to 26 attempts per game. So really trying to get more shots from the free throw line, getting more shots that are within the arc, and then having ourselves shoot threes where it makes sense um, or when it's not forced um just a really tough game to watch miami miami's a good team i don't want to take anything away from them they have a good roster jim laranega is a great coach on his way to getting 700 wins this season um nigel pack's a good guard isaiah wong obviously is super talented had a great season last year and even the year before that but it's felt like a game that uva needed to win um not because of it being ACC, not because it's an away game, but more so for the fact that we only have so many quad one opportunities this year with it being a down year in the ACC. Um, we've put ourselves in a position where we are seeing ourselves as a top team coming off of Vegas and having some strong performances. And it feels like after this Miami game, uh, a bit of realization starting to set in where this UVA team, although talented, still very good, may not necessarily be that final four national champion contender that me and you were really ready to bill it as after our last pod. So I think that was a bit of a tough pill to swallow is this felt more like a crashing down to earth. First, it was a shooting that came crashing down to earth. And for me right now, it seems to be our uh, season outlook. And for the record, this is not me saying I expect a bad season or I expect a poor season or we're not good. It just feels like we are not necessarily where we need to be to make that step to be considered a national contender just yet based on these past two performances. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair to say. Um, before we jump into kind of rest of the season outlook, I want to break down the end of this game with you. Um, so we were down like 10 points with a minute, two seconds left. I believe it may have been 62-52 if I'm not mistaken. We did a really good job of applying some pressure, uh, forcing a few turnovers, a jump ball, uh, making some some shots. Kihei got to the foul line a lot at the end of the game. Um, and then Nigel Pack goes one or two at the line with 4.7 seconds left. I just want to break down the, the last possession with you where we did not get a shot off. So a few in- interesting things happened in the possession. First, I noticed that Ryan Dunn was going to take the ball out and pass it in. Um, And then Kihei kind of called him off and wanted to be the one to take the ball out and inbound it. Now, Reese, you know, I think is definitely our best driver on the team. But with him coming off injury, maybe not having the same burst that he typically has, and the way that Kihei was drawing fouls and getting to the line, I feel like I would have preferred Kihei getting to bring the ball up on the last possession. Uh, of course, the way the possession ended was Reese kind of started up the court with a surprising lack of urgency considering there were only four seconds left. He did end up getting into the paint area 
where he had enough time to get a, a floater or layup off, but um, he kind of lost the handle and, and that was the end of the game and we didn't get a shot off. So yeah. Do you have any thoughts of how you felt about the last possession? Would you have done anything differently? I mean, hindsight 2020, but I think looking back at the film, like Reese made a good drive to the basket. I do think we could have probably had a bit more urgency going to the basket, but he did a good job taking it to the player's chest and having a good opportunity to get the ball up. Obviously, he lost the dribble and we didn't get the shot off as we wanted it to, but it seemed like the angle that was taken, the position that we were in, it was a good opportunity. The things that would have changed, once again, obviously not losing the dribble, um, but that's obviously a very easy one to call out. But I do think we could have gone a little bit sooner, especially with just some of the luck we were having down the stretch. So, for example, there were a couple offensive rebounds that occurred um, to get us in a position to even come back being down uh, those 10 points with a minute and two seconds to go. But with four seconds, you really want to get down the court and you want to get a high quality shot, but you also want to try to at least get it up there. It doesn't need to be the last shot of the game. We're the team that's down. Get the ball up. Get the ball. Just put the ball up there. Get a good shot as best as you can. And I would have loved for us to have had the opportunity to maybe have had um, maybe Vanderplas or just anyone at on the court at that point in time. Everybody go after the ball, going for a tip, or just trying to create something at the basket. Obviously, you still want reshooting the ball in that position and getting the best shot possible. But in case he does miss, um, just having everyone go at it. But overall, we were the away team. We're playing a good Miami team. Uh, a two-point loss. Although it sucks, although it sucks and it stings, you have to tip your hat to Miami. They're a good team. Uh, they're three and zero in the conference right now. So as much as I want the AC to run through Charlottesville. Right now, it has to run through Coral Gables, and hopefully uh, some other teams can knock them off, so we'll be back in a good position for us to hopefully uh, be holding that regular season crown by the end of the year. Yep, no, definitely agree. So with that, maybe we kind of transition into where we are thus far in the season, what we're liking, what we're not liking, how we're feeling about the outlook going forward. So right now, we stand at 8-2, and 1-1 one and one overall. Uh, in conference, that is, um, we we lost a game to um, be a cancellation with Northern Iowa, so we're going to play a twenty nine game schedule rather than thirty. So we've got um, nineteen games left. We've only got one more non conference game. That's next week against Albany, and then from there on out, it'll be ACC play the rest of the way. Um. Obviously, we had a really tough non-conference schedule this year. So I think if, if you told me at the beginning of the year that we'd be sitting at 8-2 and two after 10 games played, given the schedule we had, I would definitely take it. Uh, so I think all in all, we're still in a pretty good spot right now. It's more so just the, uh, the momentum that we seem to have lost a little bit in these past few games and kind of the coming back down to earth after such a – such a, a, a hot start. So I think that's kind of leading to uh, the sentiment that a lot of UVA fans are feeling right now. But I still think that there's a lot, lot of basketball left to be played and that overall we're still in a pretty good spot, but that we have some work to do to get up to that final four national contender status that you mentioned. Yeah, and I'd agree with you. Uh, when we look at, at the end of the year, eight and two at this point in time would have been a great, great spot to be in. Um, and I think, honestly, like expected and on pace, like, looking back at some of our uh, preseason predictions, we called out Baylor as a potential loss. I believe we called out Houston as a loss. But all the rest, I do think we called out as winnable. Um Things may have flipped against us where we maybe lose one other tough one on the road, maybe at Michigan or neutral versus Illinois. But I do think with the loss to Houston and Miami back-to-back, it does bring us honestly back into where we expect it to be, in my opinion, of an 8-2 and two team or 7-3, and three, 10 games in, I guess, once you include Albany and the Northern Illinois, the Northern Iowa loss – um, if we had been ten and two or eleven and three, yeah, 
10 and two or nine and three going into the rest of the ACC schedule. I feel like that's kind of on pace with what you'd expect from a team that was preseason uh, top 20. So it seems like we've kind of come back down to earth and that ranking, that original ranking seems to be more accurate than some of the recent success that we had had coming off of that Vegas tournament. But overall, I think the biggest piece we need to really figure out going into the season or just what I've realized is I really think that Reese and Kie as a backcourt have really led to some really awesome results. Looking across the box scores, Reese has led the team in scoring a few times. Kie has led the team in scoring a few times. But they both have had really awesome assist totals. Uh, they're both tied at, I believe, 5.1 assists per game at the moment. Uh, both should be in the top six, top seven for ACC entirely. I haven't had a chance to check after today's games, but both really high up in the ACC for assist, uh, both just playing really good defense. I know uh, Kihei struggled a little bit in the Houston game with some of his matchups, but overall, even looking at the box score, uh, some tough shots were hit over him, but he still held his own and did an awesome job. So we've had an awesome backcourt, but what's been a little tough is how do the rest of the players factor in? Ben Vanderplas has been an awesome good guy. Excuse me, awesome glue guy. Some games it's his scoring, some games it's his shooting, some games it's his defense. I really can only point to the Houston game as his own blemish, but the thing that I need to f- see more of is Jaden Gardner. I think Jaden Gardner was our best player last year, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And this year, I don't know if I'd even say he's third, maybe, um, with how things have gone. Reese has seemed to be our best player. Kihei, I would slot in there at number two. Um, And then it's a tough one between Shedrick, Gardner, and then also Armand Franklin. I know Franklin's been struggling a lot recently. Um, I think he'll get it going. He's an awesome person, awesome personality. And our account also follows his mom on Twitter, so I want to root for the kid anyway. Um, But he came in really hot. And if you look at some of the stats, he's still high up there in the stats, but those are – pretty heavily inflated from an early three games. So there's just a lot that this team needs to figure out. And how do we continue to get our players firing on all cylinders or getting them to just live up to a higher standard? Because if we do want to reach that goal of ACC champion, uh, final four contender, national championship contender, the way we're playing right now is just not going to get it done. And it's not these last few games against Houston or, these la- or this last game against Miami, but it's also the game against FSU. It's the game against James Madison. So I don't know what happened post-Vegas, but whatever magic we had in Vegas, I don't know if everyone found the lucky numbers or we were hitting hot streaks, but we had to figure out what was going on in Vegas, how do we get back to it and really try to ride that way for the rest of the season. Yep, Absolutely. To me, if you look at it from a team perspective, I think the two weaknesses at this point, I would say, are outside shooting and rebounding as a team. Definitely. This is, yeah, not a great rebounding team. Um, I wish I knew our, our ranking for like rebounding efficiency. but uh, so, so those are two areas of improvement that I would like to see as we head into conference play. Um, and then individually – you mentioned Gardner. I do agree his mid-range has not been as effective as it was last year. He looks a lot more hesitant with his shot this year. Like he's had some free throws that were painfully short and he's kind of like uh, looking hesitant as he releases the ball. Um, There was even an air ball in Vegas from the free throw stripe. He's down to like 60% where he was, shooting much better from the free throw line last year. But I would also point to Armand Franklin's inconsistency. I think from the Vegas tournament, I had my hopes up that Armand Franklin had really turned the corner and we were going to see a a much improved version of Armand Franklin the rest of the year. It seems like that was perhaps just a bit of a hot streak and he's been pretty inconsistent lately, especially on the road. So I think if we could get some more consistency from him, that would also go a long way. So those are um, things I would point out individually. Um, But, you know, I think with Tony Bennett coach teams, we do see a lot of in-season adjustments and improvements as the year goes along. Um, So I think there's, 
there's reason for optimism and make no make, make no mistake about it. We eight and two, like we said, you know, it's kind of right where we want to be at this point. So I think there's definitely room to grow in the direction that we want. Um, and I would, I would say that it'd be nice to see Isaac McNeely and Ryan Dunn continue to be able to grow into their roles. They got a lot of playing time against Miami, even at the expense of some upperclassmen on the roster. So I think if we could continue to develop Dunn and McNeely, getting some uh, high, high leverage minutes in conference play, that's something else that I would like to see as the season continues. Yeah, I agree. And I think for the two weaknesses, I would definitely agree. It's got to be defensive rebounding as well as just shooting percentages. Last time we talked, we were talking about there's a lot of guys that were shooting above 40% or higher percentages, even some guys shooting above 50. Now you have reset 43% and reset 43%. He doesn't really shoot the ball very often. Um, We're 10 games in. He's made nine three. So he's making at least one a game, shooting a little over two per game. So not bad. I mean, pretty solid. I wouldn't necessarily call it a shooter. I don't expect him to go and make three or four threes in a game or sitting so his 42 or 43 percent is very helpful means he's he'll hit it when he's open but it's not as a he's not a shot hunter on the three-point line ryan dunn shooting 40 percent, but he himself also has only hit two threes and nine games played so great percentage but he's not gonna be one of the ones shooting it um then franklin 39.5 percent on the season, that seems great. We have to factor in that he shot well above 50% um, for those first games. So a part of that is the recent struggles have dropped up. And if I factor out those three games, the percentage is a lot lower than what it's showing today. So really, we got to figure out ways to just hit open shots and hopefully those can start to fall and then come away with the boards. But some positives, I think our defense is still learning and figuring it out. And that's a good thing. I think there have been spots where I've seen us collapse on the defensive side. um, And it sounds very weird and oxymoronic saying it's a good thing. Our defense has struggled, but those are things that can be corrected. Those are things that Tony Bennett knows how to do. Those are things that UVA has always done. So if we're able to get the defense together, maybe we're able to buy ourselves some time back. Because although last year's team is starting to render its head a little bit, and yes, it was ugly, putrid, whatever you want to use to describe the season last year from behind the arc. But what it was awesome, though, was the defense. The defense was very good last year. So I think we'll continue to improve on the defensive side of the ball. And I think there is room for improvement. I've seen it. I've seen strides made. And then for the things that I've noticed that are mistakes seem fairly correctable. So I do have a little bit of a positive outlook going into next going into these next few games and as we get into some tougher ACC competition. Definitely. So with that, you want to jump into some buy or sell hot takes? Or maybe not hot takes, but just takes? Yeah, so I'm happy to fire off and get us kicked off. So for those listening, uh, me and Sean talked about it, and we want to do just buy or sell. Um, We know off our last pod, we kind of came in saying that, oh, UVA is looking great, fantastic. Final Four contender, maybe even national champion. So just doing a little bit of buy or sell to do a bit of a pulse check on what we've talked about today, where we are in this season, and really figure out um, how are things going. So, Sean, my first question for you at the moment uh, for buy or sell, does the ACC still run through Charlottesville? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say buy. We're one-on-one one at this point. Uh, the conference leaders, Miami 3-0. and Clemson 2-0, Pitt 2-0, but it's still very early. Um, Florida State is riding the ship a little bit with another win tonight. They're 2-1. But, yeah, I still think UVA is a great ACC regular season team. We always seem to kind of outperform expectations. Preseason poll, I believe, had us second, either second or third. Uh, behind UNC and maybe Duke. But um, I still like where we are at this point in the season. Um, I still think that we're going to be towards the top of the standings at the ACC. Um, While Miami 
of course, uh, has the advantage at this point. We're so early in the season, and I just know how consistent Tony Bennett-led teams tend to be. So I'm so optimistic, and I'm, I'm buying this take. All right. I agree with you. I definitely think that there's still a lot of season left to play. There's a lot that can happen in the ACC. And as I called out in our first episode, we do benefit from having a weaker ACC schedule. I think it's going to come to bite us back in the butt in terms of seed lines come March. Now we haven't uh, taken the opportunity to get a W against Miami and then also against Houston. But I do think seed lines don't necessarily matter for ACC crown. So weaker ACC schedule for us definitely bodes well in our favor. So pass it on to you. I'm ready. What am I buying or what am I selling? All right. I guess looking ahead to looking ahead to um, NCAA tournament, UVA will reach the elite eight or farther by or sell. Oof. I'll go by. For the Elite Eight. I don't see us going further right now. But in terms of how things shake out, how this team's performing, I know we're talking a lot about the negatives today and the needs improvements coming off of those two back-to-back games. But just looking at some of the teams that are um, in the league right now and then just how things are happening, and there's still a lot of time for things to change. But just going through the rankings um, as they stand today, Purdue, I think, will be a Elite Eight team. UConn... I I just don't believe in UConn yet. And I know there was that secret scrimmage where UVA actually beat UConn, according to some of the sources. So um, I'll hold that against them. Houston's an elite team, so that's two for me. Kansas, I think, is an elite team. Arizona's look strong. Texas, I have a feeling they look under this new coach. They don't have Chris Beard. Um, awful story. And I don't think Chris Beard's probably going to coach there ever again, depending on how that story shakes out. But it's not looking great for him. We've seen Texas under Shaka Smart, and Shaka Smart's an excellent coach, got similar talent, and they weren't able to get it together. So I'm going to hold off on Texas being a team. Tennessee, they're looking pretty solid. Alabama's looking really solid. But out of the SEC, I love this Arkansas team. I might be biased because I coached Ricky Council the fourth um, for the Carolina Flyers. So shout out to the Carolina Flyers AAU program. Um, but I love that Arkansas team. Him and Nick Smith have been awesome. So I think Arkansas gets there. Gonzaga's got an excellent roster, and they're figuring out their backcourt problems. But besides that, I think UVA is right there with the rest of these teams. I think UVA has the talent to compete with an Alabama, the talent to compete with a Texas without Chris Beer, the talent to compete with a Baylor and beat Baylor, which you already did. UCLA lost to Illinois, who UVA beat. I would have preferred to have played UCLA just to have had that win there. But looking down, like, I think there are teams we can beat, and I think Elite Eight should be achievable for us. I do not think we are ready for that upper echelon jump that the Houston-Miami game would have given us. So I think Elite Eight right now is our ceiling. I'm going to walk back my earlier take about national contender. I need to see a bit more from this team, and unfortunately I think with the schedule we have, I won't get that opportunity until the ACC tournament. I definitely think that's fair at this point. Um it's probably about the caliber team that we are right now, but hopefully we'll continue to improve as the year goes on and, and maybe get back up to that level. All right. Back to me then. Uh, so Sean Crow, buy or sell. Uh, Ryan Dunn and Isaac McNeely will start more games as a duo than Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy did their first year at UVA. And when I say duo, I mean collectively. So, Ryan Dunn could start the next 19 games. Isaac Neely would start zero. That would count as 19 versus whatever Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome had. And I can try to find those numbers real quick to give you an answer on it. But yeah, just from what you know, and just historically, how do you feel about that take? That is a good one. I wish I knew how many games they started their freshman years. I see that Kyle Guy played 18.6 minutes a game. Ty Jerome played 13.9. I don't think they started too many games. I believe Kyle Guy might have started something like seven games his freshman year, perhaps. Um, I'm probably going to sell that take. I think uh, – I do think that we could see, depending on how Armand Franklin's inconsistency, if he is able to kind of 
shake out of his slump and, and get back on the right track, I think that that could open the door for Isaac McNeely in particular to get some starts. But, um, yeah, I found it. Kyle Guy started six games in 20. So I have Kyle Guy for seven, and I have Ty Jerome for five. Okay, so 12. Yeah, okay, with that number 12, I am going to go ahead and sell that take uh, just because this team is so experienced, and I think that Tony has really shown over the years that he he favors experience. He doesn't really tend to switch up his starting lineups all that much. Um, so I am going to sell that take. I think we've still had the same starting five every game so far this year. And while we did experiment with the lineup a lot against Miami, and I do like what Ryan Dunn and uh, Isaac Manili are bringing us, I don't think that they will start a combined 12 games or more. Fair point. I will say Tony Bennett does like to stick to his lineups, but he also is a major, major tinker in my opinion. I don't know if tinkerer is even a word, but you guys get the gist. Um, But I think when he has messed with the lineup, what he tends to do is he tends to stick with it when he makes that change. And some of those lineup changes have been pretty impactful and informative, such as Kyle Guy becoming a Kyle Guy starting some games as a first year. Ty Jerome starting some games as a first year. Kihei Clark being inserted as the starting point guard to move Ty Jerome to the off-ball guard. Mamadi Diakite shifting into that starting lineup instead of Jack Salt to win a national championship and really being that final anchor for that starting five. So he definitely likes to stick to what he knows, but we have seen him in the past over our time as UVA fans definitely make adjustments as necessary and not afraid to make those adjustments even when controversial. So I thought Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome started more, so I thought this was going to be an easier sell. 12 games, 19 to go between two guys. Not barring any injuries, but it is, I think, an achievable bar. I think I'm going to sell it too, but that one definitely feels a lot more believable to me than some other uh, predictions that might be out there. But I think that's my second one. Uh, we'll call it, we'll do two apiece. So, Sean, what do you got for me? All right, so right now, Kihei Clark leads the team in scoring at 11.5 points per game. Jaden Gardner is right behind him at 11.4. And then we've got a big grouping of guys, including Armand Franklin, Reese Beekman, Caden Shedrick, and Ben Vanderplas. They're all in the 8 to 9, 8 to 9.8 points per game range. So, do you buy or sell that Kihei Clark will finish the season? leading the team in scoring average. Oh. Uh, do I buy or sell our 5'10 point guard leading our team in scoring when we have a 2,000-point scorer, a point guard that's also creeping up NBA draft boards, and then a guy that Shoney can go and get us 26 or 25? Really tough one, but I think I'm going to go up to sell on this one. I think Kihei has been – very consistent this year and has gotten us some pretty good numbers and done a solid job. I don't think he can be our primary offensive option and continue to be our leading scorer for this team to be as successful as all of us fans want them to be. I think the leading scorer has to get back to being Jaden Gardner in the post. I think it has to be him getting his mid-range jump shot, him making layups, him being effective from the free throw line just being being a good scoring option because what's going to end up happening is if it continues to be Kihei I think Kihei is someone that's more easier to game plan for or easier to contain with different defensive scheming different size guards throwing him different looks I think he's been incredible the way he's been able to get paint touches change of speed really use his pump fake, draw fouls, and find easy turnaround jump shots in the lane, layups in the lane, adjusting his body. The way he's really been attacking defensive defenses has been pretty masterful to watch. So any high school, middle school point guards out there, uh, you definitely want to be watching Kihei Clark and the way he's been attacking the offense. It doesn't always show up in the box score, but if you watch it on film or watch it on TV, you definitely see some pretty crazy things from him. But I think for this team to be as successful as we want them to be and to get back to that Vegas-type uh, ceiling, it's got to be Jaden Gardner, in my opinion. And then I think 
Franklin or Reese need to be that number two guy. And then Kihei can continue to hold pace at that 11 or 10. But I think that's what we need to see is him be that third or fourth option and become an efficient option, not having to force it to him. Because we've seen that in the past, and it hasn't been pretty when we've had to make Kihei the focal point and forcing a lot of shots on him. Yeah, I think uh, this year we have a lot of depth on our team. So this is not going to be one of those years where, you know, 2018, 2019, we had Kyle Guy, Ty Drum, DeAndre Hunter, all averaging a a very high amount, and then after that, there was a steep drop-off. This is definitely much more the team where there's not really going to be a, a runaway leading scorer, I don't believe. It's going to be a lot of guys all close together. I think what we've seen so far this year is, like you said, Kihei has been the most consistent, whereas a lot of our other guys, they are probably more capable of having a big night um, but they just do it less consistently. So Kihei is kind of bringing it every game, whereas Franklin had like 26 against uh, Baylor, but then has had some some no-shows lately. Um, and uh, so, so, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to follow in the season stats who our leading scorer is throughout the year. But, yeah, um, I think that's all we had for tonight. Anything else you wanted to touch on, Kari, or – I mean, just looking back at some of these old stats, I can't believe Kyle got shot almost 50% from three on 1.5 attempts every 34 games. That's kind of crazy to see, or three attempts. So almost 100 shots taken and 50% of threes hit. So uh, you never know what you had until it's gone. So definitely missing those Kyle guy and Ty Jerome years. But besides that, um, nothing else for me. Uh, for those who are listening, be on the lookout. Uh, me and Sean planned for this podcast for us to do a team selection. Uh, I'm sure for those that have been on like Twitter or Instagram, you've probably seen the select your starting five with like 15 bucks and sign. Um, everybody gets like a $5, four dollar, $3, $2, $1 possible and debate it. We were planning on doing that tonight, but um, unfortunately we had to break down two losses instead of kind of just saying, all right, who's are still undefeated and keeping it going along. So you can look out for some bonus content from us coming out soon. But as always, thanks for listening. Uh, as our viewership, or I guess listenership, uh, continues to grow, please like, subscribe, download our episodes on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcast, anywhere else I can figure out ways for us to post this. But like, subscribe, and please leave us five-star reviews and comments. And for those that, once again, have continued to just give us positive feedback or even critical feedback on how we can improve, we really appreciate it. We're having a ton of fun doing this. Looking forward to getting some more episodes out there for you guys. So once again, be on the lookout, and we have a fun bonus episode coming for you guys pretty soon. But with that, uh, as always, go Hoos, and we will see you all next time. Sounds good. Go Hoos.